What has it been? A year, Sovereign? Mm-hmm. Yay. Waking people up. So the Awake Tour, it's really the Resurrection, the Rise Tour, is going to start mid-May, 111 days. Um, Sasha will be going from city to city along with Lee Dundas, Sheriff Mack, Cynthia McKinney, and Robert David Steele. So um, is the website up for that, Sovereign? Because I noticed when I went clicked it yesterday, it wasn't. Is there an official website? Because I... Um, yes. I, if you want to let everybody know? Yes. Um, let me just quickly have a look. We, we, we've had some server challenges um, with um, getting everything installed in Iceland. And so um, I'll just double check a, um, a URL here. But it's uh, LazarusInitiative.com. Uh, that's for the, uh, anybody can join in. That's going to be the ongoing 12-month kind of thing, yeah. right? But the Arise Tour has its own website for the U.S. tour, correct? Um, no, that's, that's, in, that's in process at the moment. So, yeah, that was, the, that, there's information on arise.world for the tour, that peop, if people are interested in that. So, um, and that will take you to uh, a page that gives a, a little bit of a, download on the information that comes with that and um okay got that just pulled that up big bat usa national tour yeah so that's that's quite a bit of good coverage there and then um once the once everything is locked and loaded um it will have its own its own dedicated site i think um got it so right now it's going to robert david Steele's page and um if you were curious about the dates and which city um, everyone will be in. I think it's going to be quite the event, hitting quite a few cities. Um, that would be there. So, arise.world for right now. All right, I'm here with Robert David. Sorry about that. And we've got Christian Northrup on the line. Good morning, Chris. So good to have you on. As always, oh, I know Dolores, hello. how are you? <laughs> I've made it. You made it. Thank you. I am going to send out reminders to everyone. We were just giving people an update on the uh, epic tour that Sasha's going to be doing, the Arise Tour, the 111 cities. And um, we'll be getting him on Clubhouse and also Lee when we figure out everybody's phones. But Sovereign, anything else you want to say about the Little Lazarus Initiative while we're getting others on the line? Uh, it It was beautiful. And it will uh, be rendered into a, uh, a, a video that um, will be made available when people um, sign up at the Um One of the things is that it will be a, a membership-based platform. So there will be an inner circle that gets um, special access um, in order to also be able to the finance the build out of a media platform on the back end of this because the subjects that are being covered in the Lazarus initiative are as we all know uh, with new earth they are too confront uh too um not so much confrontational but controversial controversial yeah um, <laughs> yeah i guess they would be confrontational because we we are confronting the truth and um, and the truth is uh, is is very um, real. It's um, it's a big story. It's covering um, 
the whole of humanity in, 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 in many and from many different angles. And what was covered yesterday was, to me, a rather outstanding production because it takes a real art to bring both uh, medical doctors and specialists together in an age of the artificialization of the human, the human genome, the human species, and, and also bring in um, the elements of, of the origins of where all this stems from. And, and we're looking at beyond, you know, when um, J.D. Rockefeller had a whole bunch of distorted fantasies to basically uh, take control over, over the medical um, pharmaceutical industry, or at least that, that birth from that. Uh, it goes way further into the, the cosmogenesis of, of us as a human species because it's relevant to look at what our, what our legacy uh, may be in, in light of all the, the distortions that we're currently navigating. There's a much larger uh, journey that, that our human species is on. And without knowing in which simulation, in which simulation, in which simulation, in which simulation we are navigating, depending on, on how far we can extract our viewpoint out of these different bubbles of simulations within simulations, we will be able to have a clearer overview on, on where to direct um, our energy in all these different stratas. And I think that awareness alone can be, um, can be very, very liberating. And that's what it's really um, focusing on, on shining a bright and very clear light on. And I found it myself um, being there in the, in the production with Sasha, um, very, very insightful to receive from so many different angles the, the, the thread that is actually running through all of it. And that, and that is the, the, the factor that binds us all is that we all want truth, we all want disclosure, and we're all hungry to learn more about how, how all the pieces of this weird puzzle kind of fit together. And, and we have so many beautiful people in their own field working on their puzzle and their kind of puzzle piece. And, and bringing those pieces together creates a very, very beautiful geometry that allows people to kind of see through a whole range of distorted belief systems and, and programmed ideologies that we really benefit freeing ourselves from because really what, what they are doing, if they are limited belief systems, they are doing exactly that, limiting our capacity to clearly think for ourselves, to clearly um, steer our own course uh, as a human species in the direction where we actually all want to go. And we do know where we want to go because at, at the inception of the, the New Earth metric, it's, it's become really clear that the collective dream and the collective vision and, and, and that which what pulses from within each human being is that we are here to celebrate life together, to co-create life in syntropy with life, in harmony with our planet, and currently we're up against a um, pretty big shitstorm to, to steer us out of those murky waters. And I feel that, that everybody that we've been working with over the past year and, and the many years that Sasha has been working with so many, so many uh, specialists in so many fields, um, that is 
our collective purpose, that is our collective directive, that we proclaim ourselves. And to me, it's just uh, it's just an honor to be in service and to be in support of all these beautiful, beautiful human beings that in their own way are doing such a unique service to our, our, our planetary evolution as a human species during these times. And the, and the Mastermind Brain Trust has really been birthed out of all of that effort. Good to have you on, Dolores and Chris. I know, um, you know we have this group that meets every week for those of you that are new and just tuning into this um, clubhouse, which is a new platform for us. We're working on some things behind the scenes, um, really kind of creating a consortium for all this curated content and the conversations that we have with this mastermind group. Um, Chris, maybe I'm, I'm curious your takeaway and Dolores from the, the presentation this week and the conversation that we've been having with um, Andy and Tom Cohen and, and this conversation, we've been talking about that. We've been talking a lot about censorship and how we're navigating through these times. So maybe if you want to open it up and we'll get Dolores' take on what's happening on the other side of the world. Yes. Um, yeah. Oh, okay, we can have Dolores go. No, no, you, just, no, you please go ahead first and then I'm okay. happy to hear and then I'll give you my response because I'm in the Great. middle of both worlds. It's hard to know. Isn't go it ahead. true? <laughs> that, that is so true. Okay, well, um, Tom Cowan and Andy Kaufman, and by the way, if you who are listening go to questioningcovid.com, questioningcovid.com, you will find dozens of experts weighing in, including a brilliant talk by Andy Kaufman, actually showing that this SARS-CoV-2 has never, ever, ever been isolated. And then it questions the entire germ theory. And once you understand how little science this is based on with viruses, uh, then the whole, <laughs> the whole house of cards begins to fall. The thing is, though, where most people are right now, and, and here's the piece, the missing piece that I got from both Andy and uh, Tom, and that is, because I asked him about herpes. As a gynecologist, hello, you can't tell me that herpes doesn't happen. Uh, so what I, what I learned is, he said, we are not saying that something isn't there. It clearly is. But what we are saying is, it's never been proven that this tiny particle is the cause. And he gave an example that, again, as a gynecologist, I liked. And that is when women are all living together in a dorm or a camp or whatever, we all synchronize our menstrual periods and become, you know, like lunar sisters. Is that from a little particle? No. It's something much, much larger. It might be related to a pheromone, anything of that nature. But what both of them can prove is that this whole thing about I caught it from you or um, now I'm of danger now to those who have not received an inoculation, that entire narrative just doesn't hold up. And that's the narrative that we have been using to enslave humanity with the public health uh, narrative starting with, as you said, Sovereign, the Rockefeller Foundation, and way beyond that, way beyond that, that we can't trust nature, and you must do things you don't want to do, 
in order to protect others who can't protect themselves. This is the, it's the heart of the whole thing. And for me, it is a co-opting of wonderful human empathy and love. It's co-opting that incredible human trait and turning it against us so that we enslave ourselves in the name of caring. Like we had the highway signs in my state all winter, wearing is caring. Meaning if you breathe less oxygen, you will be caring for me. It makes no sense, but that's where the PSYOP is. Now, in terms of censorship, uh, I think right now I'm the only one on this uh, call who's part of the disinformation dozen. So the Center for the Countering of Digital Hate, which is out of London, has now targeted 12 of us in the health freedom movement as uh, purveyors of, of hate speech and disinformation. And it, it's, a, it's an astounding reversal of what is true. And so we, with Millions Against Medical Mandates, we are working on a campaign, uh, all of us are, in a sort of very grassroots, like the, like the hyphae of fungi under the earth. You know, we're all finding each other because everyone's been canceled on uh, the mainstream social media. But all of us are working together. Uh, and in fact, today, some of us will be on James Grunvig's American Periscope Media show called Freedom Fridays, where we'll talk about this. Uh, but there's an incredible awakening. I can't wait to hear from Dolores. I'm always so glad to have Dolores with us about uh, what's going on on planet Earth. So take it away, Dolores. <laughs> Thank you so much. And actually, I was just on, the, as all of you probably know, with the hashtag Testgate Consortium with Professor Shin Lee and uh, Dr. Jack Lois Byler, you know. Um, so what we're trying to do, I'm involved in many initiatives, but it's around project accountability. And one of the things that's underpinning a lot of this stuff is a lack of accountability and unlawful behavior and lack of rigor in the science and medicine community. So in hashtag Testgate, we have this uh, PCR consortium, which is trying to do rigorous analysis to, of a thousand samples, full length Sanger sequencing to see if you have a PCR positive test, what's actually in it. And we think fundamentally, if it's not SARS-CoV-2, that we want to engage with lawyers um, around the world to actually uh, then challenge the lawful basis of the lockdown. And I would specifically do it in Ireland. And obviously we would have lawyers in America and around the world. So um, I think, um, and also in project accountability, what we're doing in Ireland is actually writing to the Garda commissioners to actually see if it's lawful for the police to be bringing in the restrictions on our inalienable rights of freedom of travel, for example, based on a virus, whether it exists or not, but that the symptoms can be treated. Um, and in the World Freedom Alliance, we want to um, launch an initiative called the European Spring, which is to give hope, so hope and accountability. So to communicate to people, there is actually hope that the symptoms can be prevented and treated with some of the best uh, preventions and treatments in the world, the safest. And if there's prevention and treatment, to write, for example, in a notice of liability to the head of the regulatory body, the head of the medical councils, um, and the prime ministers and ministers for health. Because the real question is, 
if this is a 100% prevented and treatable illness, then every death with COVID-19 on a death cert actually has to have a public inquiry because those people wouldn't have died if they get prevention and treatment. So what I'm just trying to say in the world for the last year, we've been very responsive for their agenda and that we haven't actually held individual people to account. And if you were to challenge the head of the health regulatory bodies who are either you know promoting this mRNA but not promoting prevention and treatment, or the medical councils that are striking off medical and health professionals, um, if they give prevention and treatment and are striking them off for not giving an mRNA injection, which has significant adverse events in a clinical trial, that if one person in a clinical trial usually dies, that the, uh, the clinical trial should be stopped. So really the regulators in each of our countries are accountable because the adverse events and death are so high for all of those debts and the families can potentially take medical, um, you know, sue those individuals in their private capacity for the harm that they're causing by not doing their job properly. I love that you bring everything back to accountability, Dolores, and, you know, what you're doing on just this this individual level there. I mean, I'm curious, the censorship, you know, that, that Christiane brought up as far as what you're doing and how you're navigating around, because I know it's been challenging, but you're you're well, yeah, and listen, I might as well say in my work, you know, they wrote to me because uh, before I attended the, in a park, we had other people were organizing a St. Patrick's Day event in a park, which is within half a kilometer from my home, half a mile around just to remember the mental health issues associated with the lockdown. It was called Family Supporting Families. And the day before in my work, they said they would take uh, action against me as an employee if I attended the park. Uh, and then a few days after, they've written to say to say that it may be an act of gross misconduct, that on a bank holiday in my spare time, I was in attendance at a park um, or on St. Patrick's Day. Now, I was not the organizer at all. So there was a known person who's willing to say that. But I think what when you turn, like I'm trying to do, these issues back to hold one person accountable, like the Prime Minister or here, the President that is signing and maintaining this COVID-19 um, Act that may actually be undermining people's inalienable rights and may not have been processed properly in Ireland because it has to be in Irish and it has to be in a certain office of the Supreme Court. And if it isn't, then it's unlawful. And essentially, the Attorney General and the head of police in Ireland, if they are implementing an unlawful act, that in itself, um, the Attorney General and the head of the police, that would in itself then that they are not upholding the law. So because I'm just asking these questions and writing letters or witnessing letters on a notice of liability, that I think it's connected that there's huge pushback against me in the you know newspapers and in my work. Now, it may be unconnected, but... I have a suspicion it's not unconnected. Not sure what's happening. Imani, are you there with us? <laughs> yes. Or Christiana, I just me? wanted to give other people a chance to jump in and respond to that. But uh, was I on mute the whole time? You guys didn't hear me? I was talking. You were, you were, you were on mute. <laughs> you were on mute, yes. Well, guess you didn't hear anything I had to say. I was just telling Andy we were talking about him and told him to get on. So Andy, if you can, I don't know how much time you have, but 
we'd love to hear from you this morning. And then I was just saying that Renette and I got the chance to meet in Texas for the first time and hug each other. So I was going to let her, they probably have a lot to say. So um, Andy, if you want to jump in and um, share, um, this would be a great time. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, what I mean, I I only heard kind of uh, the last uh, minute or so. So what uh, what were we have we been talking about this morning? We were sharing the the presentation that you and Tom did with the group and the mastermind, and um, Christiane was sharing some of the takeaways that she had. Oh, awesome! Yeah, well, that was a uh, you know a really uh, exciting experience for Tom and me, and in fact, uh, we're doing it uh, again this afternoon to a different group of uh, scientists and physicians, um, some pretty well-known people from Europe. Um, and uh, so, since it went seemed to go so well the other day, um, we're hopeful for uh, similar results. And you know, this is uh, really the main issue for us because everything else is very easy to figure out once you realize that there really is no virus that's been uh, proven to even exist. And um, so all, all these other things that are coming up that are very confusing now, like, you know, questions about the vaccine, you know, will it harm other people? Um, will there be new vaccines for variants? What about variants? All those questions are very, very simple because you see that there's no need for any vaccine. There are no variants um, because there can't be, you know, based on the lack of a virus. And it seems that, um, you know, more and more uh, scientists and, and health professionals are, are willing and open to examine this issue, um, you know, more carefully because, as they see that more, more and more of what we're uh, witnessing on the surface is, uh, you know, false and misleading, and there are clearly other agendas, uh, like Dolores has been pointing out, and, you know, we all have, really, um, that it's just much, uh, you know, you get drilled down to deeper levels, and once you're willing to really look at the science of this issue, it, it's actually quite easier to understand because it's just a yes or no question. You know, there's no statistical analysis or opinion related to it once you really understand it. Because, you know, if you're going to demonstrate the discovery of a new physical thing, then, uh, you know, you simply have to actually show that it exists, right? It's either there or not there. And, uh, you know, there's no magician's sleight of hand. Um, you know, you can't uh, say that it disappeared. When you look at it, it has to actually be there for all to see. And when you understand that that hasn't been achieved, then it's, it's very easy to understand that everything else is simply uh, misrepresentation, misconception, subterfuge, um, and, you know, down and outright fraud and propaganda. So, Andy, I mean, how do we, how do you see shifting this mindset? This is like, you know, telling people moving from the, the world's round to the world's flat, like we're talking about a complete change and this understanding of what we've all been taught even you know as, as far as every all the doctors in the group saying what they learned in school and this is a huge thing and there's also the discussion of what we focus on right now right um because we have like the immediate situations like what sherry tenpenny brought up that people are concerned okay is this shot shedding um is it can it be sexually you know transmitted the blood issue i mean all of these things that people are kind of moving into this state of you yeah. know there's some real fear coming up around a lot of these issues how, how do you see us, you know, presenting it? I think there are a lot of people out there like myself that 
are very interested in this topic of the terrain theory and really actually grasping it because we've sent out massive emails to our mailing list and had a huge response to it. But yeah, well, Imani, I've got, you know, a few ways um, of looking at this and, you know, uh, the issue about, you know, the virus shedding and sexual transmission and all that. Well, if you really examine the science of that, uh, there's no natural model for this. You know, if there's no virus, then there's nothing to pass um, right between people. So it kind of simplifies. But I, I know that this is definitely a major shift in your worldview about health and disease and medicine. And it takes uh, you know, some willingness to be open-minded and to risk, uh, you know, having to um, change a lot of the way you see a lot of different things, right? So it's not the easiest thing to go. But once once you see the truth of it, it actually is so liberating. And one of the things that really helped me arrive at this point was, you know, through my own experience and observation and then through reading the medical literature, like most of the other, uh, you know, medical peers, uh, that that are participating in here, we, we know that medical interventions by and large are not successful, right? How many people have been cured uh, of any illness, you know, through medical intervention? And when I started um, learning about natural healing and actually working with some people doing these and doing it, you know, for myself, what you begin to see is that people are cured of all sorts of illnesses, Okay, and I saw this just learning the techniques. I didn't even know what the theoretical basis was. I hadn't looked at germ theory yet. What I was just observing is that other people were reporting that they were being cured of autism. They were being cured of rheumatoid arthritis. They were being cured of lupus. They were being cured of cancer. And then I, uh, you know, worked with people directly in an educational manner as a consultant. And those people we're also having the same kind of experiences of being cured of these things. And this, you know, I never, ever experienced this at all as a doctor practicing allopathic medicine. So after a while, I was like, well, what, you know, what's the basis of really of what I'm doing? How does it all work? And I realized that what I was doing was giving terrain theory-based treatment, which is essentially support the environment of your body to allow it to get rid of junk and put good stuff in it and let it repair itself and that that's essentially how we work as organisms and most of the illnesses that we're concerned about actually occur because we're uh, either knowingly or unknowingly putting a lot of poisons and toxic materials into our body sometimes our body is generating these things on its own especially when we're in a, a state of fear and panic and stress and trauma but they, we're exposed to these things from, you know, every uh, aspect of our life, um, including our food, our clothing, our hygiene products, the air we breathe, you know, everything. And once you can observe that you can actually heal based on this um, kind of philosophy, uh, it starts to really sink in that, that this really is the way things work. And then you start to observe things with a more curious lens and you see that things don't add up really based on germ theory. Like, like the contagion thing, you know, everyone would get sick in the household every time if the germs were really the cause. And that just never really happens. But we never look at it and say, hey, what could explain this? We just 
already know, right, that, that germs are the cause. But actually, we already know about terrain theory, too, because we know about the importance of the gut microbiome, yeah, right? Yeah. And it's not really just the gut. It's actually our whole body. But, you know, we know that this is a key to our health. And the reason is because our body is really not just human cells. It's really a community of hundreds of organisms. In fact, the microorganisms living in our body outnumber the human cells by some estimates 10 to 1. 10, yeah. Right. And also, you know, nutrition Andy, as well, right? And then stress or lack of stress, you know, they're all very key components on whether you have symptoms of a disease or not. Absolutely, because you have to have, you know, the, the proper nutrition to meet all the needs and demands of your body to perform all the functions. And then you have to avoid food that's filled with poisons and uh, endocrine disrupting, you know, pseudo hormones and uh, things that kill bacteria in your gut, like like glyphosate or Roundup, which, you know, is banned in Europe, but it's used in everything in the United States. Yeah, exactly. And um, you know what I think? We know we have this PCR sequencing consortium that I'm involved in, you know, with Jack Lois Weiler and Professor Shin Lee. And I was just on the call with them now, and I was saying, you know, we really need to look at the primers and really deep sequence or Sanger sequence these tests. And I'd love, Andy, to work through the results with you and to compare what's actually been sequenced. And you know there's endemic viruses as well, which doesn't call illness. Now, I'm sure you'd be saying they don't exist at all. But well, I think it would be lovely is... to look at the sequences with your uh, eyes, you know, your glasses on to see what the hell is going to come out of this. Yeah, well, Dolores, I'm, you know, this is a really fascinating area for me. And I know that most people are deathly afraid of anything with genetics because it could be so confusing. But, you know, what, what they've done is kind of embodied in the title of this article that I was recently uh, reading from Nature in 2016. And the, the title is Redefining the Invertebrate RNA Virosphere. Wow. And when they say redefining, what they really mean is that let's take RNA from invertebrates, right, which are, you know, animals with no spine, and let's call them viruses. And this is what they're doing, uh, essentially, with all these genetic experiments. And what I think the real source of all this RNA, and I'm talking mostly about RNA viruses right now, okay. is that we know that 99% of our DNA in our genome from the Human Genome Project is originally was called junk DNA, but it's not genes. It's, so it's uh, sequences that are not genes that don't make, so they don't make proteins. And this yeah. is 99 right? Yeah. So we call it non-coding uh, DNA now. And we know that it's all made into RNA. And that those pieces of RNA are involved in all kinds of cellular processes. Yeah. They regulate um, and they recombine and uh, form all different kinds of sequences that are not in the code because they're mixed up and recombined in all different ways. And what I think happens is that when we have a disease state that are those non-coding sequences which regulate our genes and other cellular processes recombine in a certain way to give a certain profile of sequences and we can detect some of those snippets of sequences and we have called them arbitrarily viral rna and that's why they say they're actually in our genome as well as in these theoretical you know particles that they've never actually been able to purify 
and and uh, you know Nancy Turner Banks really did some brilliant work on covering this uh, when she was investigating the HIV and AIDS uh, uh, virus issues, and it has been used and um, manipulated to make these PCRs, and this is why they can essentially come up with these primers and probes without any additional information because they've already characterized these sequences and disease states and so they can simply grab one at will and then uh, they're bound to find you know if you have like atypical pneumonia for example or viral yeah. pneumonia right which is what we, we would have called it in the past viral or flu pneumonia yeah um, and uh, they can just find those sequences in it and then say the virus is there and they can really do this at will yeah. with all these different disease states. Because, and, you know, uh, Andy, my background was that my degree is molecular genetics and my PhD is in immunology. But about 25 years ago, I invented a technology to subclone the, you know, a huge proportion, like over, uh, we'll say, a quarter of a million different clones expressing human proteins. There were around 11,000 different ones. But when I looked at antibodies that were used in diagnostic tests, pathology and research, you know, they were not binding what they were supposed to do. And so I spent basically my whole life getting antibodies in a company that I set up and showing and characterizing that because they weren't binding what they were supposed to, if you use them in a diagnostic test to diagnose cancer or whatever, you'll get incorrect results um, and have been getting huge pushback in the research community because of that. And, and nearly every antibody we took from publications were not correct. And when we would give the information back to the collaborators, they wouldn't want to correct the record. And I've also been screening serum from people who are healthy and with autoimmune diseases. And it has been confounding to me that the amount of antibodies in people's serum is actually very few. And that really doesn't make sense if you are getting lots of viruses, you know, and all these infections, you'd expect to have a huge amount of diversity of IG, you know, of the antibody repertoire, the natural autoantibody and disease associated. And I've been screening against 11,000 different proteins, 20,000 people over 25 years. And we designed the experiments. You could compare them all over 100 years, you know, different people. And the amount of antibodies made in the human serum and plasma is actually very few, which would actually add weight to your uh, suggestion that these viruses don't exist because there doesn't seem to be an, an immune response against them. You know, I'm just saying I'm on very much open. And that was one of the rationales why I wanted to have a deep sequencing of everything, consortium of the test, positive tests, because really, for the first time, if you were involved as well as looking at the results, we can really see what is a positive test. And is there viruses? And is there really different mutations between different people? And you could do it for people in America and in Ireland and actually track what's going on fundamentally. Yeah, well, there is certainly, uh, you know, a lot of interesting things. And actually, um, uh, right now, uh, Stefan Lanka is conducting some uh, controlled genome experiments where he's taking the same clinical samples and showing that you can actually construct genomes of different viruses from the same material. So you could, in other words do the same experiments that have been done to say that there's a SARS-CoV-2 genome, but also show, you know, the genome of uh, a hantavirus or uh, what, you know, other types of viral sequences 
um, almost at will because you're capturing the same kinds of uh, these sequences. So it's so going to be really, really fascinating. Just explain that. Explain yeah. that. Is that like that they're just rearranged in a different order? Or that's yeah. totally intriguing. Well, like the first time they ever sequenced, you know, this alleged virus, so they didn't take a purified virus particle and pull the genetic material out. Like they it was, shotgun. Right, did for a human, yeah. right? And so I've heard it called shotgun sequencing. They also call it next generation sequencing. But they yeah. took like lung fluid only from one person, okay? And they... Um, basically just extracted the RNA and made it a, an RNA library, uh, which had, um, and then they had to basically toss out sequences longer than 150 bases long because they couldn't do them on the 2D sequencing array. And so for convenience, really. And then they had the sequence of 56 and a half million independent short fragments of RNA up to 150 bases long. And they put those 56 and a half million puzzle pieces basically into two separate computer programs. And each of the programs um, tried to put them together into longer pieces by overlapping sequences. And they made over 2 million different of these overlapping sequence longer strands called contigs. And they just took 1.999 million of those and tossed them aside and picked out one and said, this is the basis of the genome. Then they compared it against a bat SARS-like coronavirus, which they, by the way, made that genome the same exact way. And, but it didn't match, so they filled in sequences from the database and made it close enough, and then said, boom, this is it. This is the genome. But <laughs> you see, And you know, Andy, that's exactly why I've been saying for the PCR consortium with Jack, is that for every manufacturing test kit, we have to see what the primers are, what they are to the SARS-CoV-2 by eye, not using the automated stuff, because there's probably biases in it, and then look at whatever strains there are of this other similar coronaviruses that are endemic in the common cold and the bat, and really look and see how specific is the amplified region, so-called, or the primers, right? And, well, or, and to compare to humans or whatever the uh, DNA could be, right? From right. As well, if we you know, don't know anything about it. Yeah, well, I mean, we know that, that the primers, for example, are not very unique because when they've been run against the BLAST database, at least the, the ones from uh, the Pasteur Institute in Paris, they matched something like 100 different bacterial species, many of them. But exactly. the, th the thing is that we, we have no idea where what the origin of any of these sequences is other than being human sequences, as I described, because... They've never been taken from a pure sample of anything. They've always been taken from a mixture of organisms. Um, and so there's no way to tell what's what. You know, it's like imagine if, uh, you know, you, you just had every animal in the zoo and you chopped them up in a blender and pulled out a microscopic fragment. How would you know which animal it came from? Yeah. There, and right, I think maybe no... people mightn't be aware that Professor Stefan Lanka, who I admire, um, and I've been in contact with his office, you know, over, we'll say, a year, but not directly with him, that he won a court case up to the, the Supreme Court equivalent in Germany, where he had done a €100,000 prize in 2011 to, for anyone to come with the measles 
virus isolate. And in a process over six or seven years, he won the Supreme Court case because no one, even though there was over 3,000 publications around the measles virus and vaccine, no one was able to isolate it. So it would be amazing, Andrew. I would love, you know, in 2021, if you and Professor Lanka and to support an initiative that we would have a meeting or a prize for whoever will isolate the SARS-CoV-2 virus and put it into 10 repositories in the world, including you, Professor Lanka, you know, um, Judy Mikovic, for it to be characterized and isolated. If it yeah, is. This is the power of this mastermind group. I just want for anyone that's tuning into the conversation, um, just to give people an idea of this mastermind brain trust that we've been having these kind of behind the scenes conversations for you know several months now, but bringing it out to the public and the collaboration of how all of you are working together. And just this is the power of of having these conversations and getting everyone on the same page, especially when we're talking about bringing such um, transformational ideas out to to people that are really just changing that mind shift. I saw Larry popped in. I know you kind of, you were in the presentation that we were sort of spinning off of that, Larry. Um, and I'm assuming everyone that's tuning in knows everyone, so we're not doing introductions of all of our speakers. But um, if you don't know them, definitely look them up um, because they're all, um, have so much to offer. Larry, you want to jump in and um, share any of your well, takeaways? And Imani, before, before yeah. I want to hear from Larry too, but just real quickly, I want to mention that there is one uh, big challenge in Germany um, that I know Dr. Lanka is aware of, um, and this is uh, uh, done by Samuel Eckert, E-C-K-E-R-T. He's um, uh, an like, independent journalist uh, there, and, and um, it's called the uh, Christian Drosen Isolate Fund. And it's, I think, a specific challenge to Christian Drosten to uh, prove the validity of the PCR sequences. And it, it might be up to 100,000 euros or so by now. So that's something to definitely uh, check into. Okay. So, hi, everybody. Um, you know, as a, as a pediatrician, uh, since 1987, when I finished my, uh, when I graduated medical school, um, you know, I was indoctrinated with the idea that germs cause disease and, you know, so antibiotics were for every ear infection or antibiotics were for a throat infection and antibiotics were for a cough. And somewhere in the mid nineties, uh, I got, uh, connected punctures and homeopaths and, I started understanding this concept that the body has the innate capacity to heal, which I never understood as a medical student or resident. And somewhere about 20 years ago, um, I realized that if we looked at the mechanisms of how the body works, if we looked at the autonomic nervous system, the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system, if we looked at the inflammatory and the anti-inflammatory immune system, if we looked at the you know phases of inhalation and exhalation, if we looked at how the kidney worked and, and how the skin worked and uh, how the intestines work, we could actually find deeply embedded in those ologies how the body has the innate capacity to heal and that it's constantly removing wastes uh, at every any given moment. We exhale, we get rid of wastes. We sweat, we smell, we get rid of wastes. We urinate, we defecate, we get rid of wastes. We sleep, we exercise, we scream, we get rid of wastes. And so the, the 
uh, human genome project actually demonstrated that nine percent of the human genome uh, it, it contains DNA to make viruses, and it was only found that maybe one and a half percent of our entire genetic material coded for the actual genes in our body. So, at the minimum, the minimum, there's another thirty-four percent that in the genome that codes for something called retrotransposons, which are also virus-like particles. So at minimum, we have at least 43% of our genetic material in our chromosomes that has some relationship to either making viruses or making viral uh, particles. Then you have mitochondria that contain RNA and DNA. And then you have the hundreds of trillions of bacteria that line every surface of the body which contain the viral RNA and DNA. And then, you know, you look at the teaching that we have, which is we don't have a virus in our body unless somebody sick gives them to us. And we see a breakdown in the thinking. And so what I've come to do in my practice of pediatrics for the last 20 years is that when a child has symptoms of an illness, the cough, the vomiting, the mucus production, the diarrhea, the rashes, those are actually ways in which moves excess wastes and, and toxins due to increasing inflammation from stress or toxicity that came into the body that the cells were no longer able to handle without the body getting sick to keep the body well. And so children get sick in order for their bodies to get well. And, you know, once I, uh, once I, I referred back to when my pediatrician mentors were teaching us in medical school and residency, and they would say that when the kids in the 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s in New York would get their flu-like illnesses, their measles, their mumps, rubella, their chicken pox, or any other kinds of fever illnesses, the children would always have growth spurts after the illnesses had resolved. And so it became clear when I understood why viruses uh, or viral particles are inside the cells or in the bacteria or in the mitochondria. Once we realized that those uh, viruses on any given moment are helping the cells stay well, they're helping with transcription of genes, they're helping with removal of wastes from the cells then you realize that a viral illness is almost always an augmentation of regular viral activity to get the cells to clean out so the body can stay, for, you know, avoid dying and avoid, you know, uh, getting deeply sick from the accumulation of the waste and the toxins. So for the last 20 years, I mean, I've barely used antibiotics when a kid is sick and um, I barely use over-the-counter medicines when a kid is sick because I got to understand that the inside of our body are actually and when I started applying that clinically I watched kids get better without using over-the-counter medicines or prescription medicines to suppress their symptoms and so if we have hundreds of trillions of organisms bacteria and viruses embedded in our body then what is different about this thing that we're inhaling or ingesting that's making people develop symptoms that we call COVID-19? And so, yeah. you know, we're, we're missing the differential diagnosis. 
yeah, maybe it just is that we shouldn't be calling them viruses, you know, that they're just another part of the human genome, you know? Correct. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, in order for nomenclature, we, we need some language that teaches us how to refer to them. But the thing is that a virus isn't a virus. A virus isn't a virus until it's a virus, because a virus has no based on based on our current understanding of viruses. Viruses can't replicate themselves. They can't make new ones. They need a genetic machinery of a human or an animal or a plant. So this idea that just because you're exposed to a virus, you're going to get sick. When you're dealing with something that's a millionth of an inch long, that has no innate capacity of its own to do anything, but, we have to start changing the way we look at the but human But another body. way of looking at it is if it's part of, we'll say, the human body and the human genetic makeup, uh, and not that it's something that comes in, for example, then, of course, it's just like all the other transcribed uh, genes are transcribed using the machinery of the ribosome, right? And that this thing is just another component of our genome um, that is then uses the human machinery the same as everything else. And essentially the Correct. definition of a virus been dead outside the body is not relevant, you know, in a thought. Right. I mean, I, I mean, I think the, the problem ever, ever, whenever, and Andy referred to it, is whenever you're doing a nasal swab of a, of a child or an adult, you can't prove whether what you're uh, collecting is exogenous, meaning you breathe it in, or it's endogenous. It's part of your cellular debris or part of the bacterial debris that's in the lining of your surface that you're culturing. And so, we're, we're, you know, that's just basic that's, science. That's I mean, we're doing this, uh, we have launched this PCR sequencing consortium from fundamental basics and Sanger sequencing using whatever manufacturing tests are available in America now is that we can do deep sequencing of seeing what is a positive test and then compare it to everything and you including all aspects of human genetic material. I think the other thing that you're bringing up, Larry, which is really important and we talk a lot about is just the languaging around it. And we've had many discussions of just what people are, you know, what we know is not a vaccine to refer to it as an injection or shot and to name things as they are that that's been something that i think sherry and christian have been really instrumental in getting out there we're getting close to the top of the hour i would love for renette to share sort of the takeaways from um we just did a little texas tour and it was just the the energy sort of as we shift directions we're really we're doing things simultaneously right there's pam popper and sherry tenpenny and chris and you renette working sort of on the political realm as we're trying to change these concepts of understanding around what we have um that we're dealing with right now. So, Renette, I'll hand it over to you. All right. Well, you know, I, I, I'm telling you, I'm loving this conversation because, um, you know, I say to folks, I say, you know, we, we, we have come to believe that we know everything there is to know. And when I ask people, I said, you know, let's look at the sun for a second. You know, we, we, we've come to understand this, you know, there's this geocentric system where the sun's in the middle and the planets rotate around it, right? And everyone goes, oh, yeah, right. I said, right, the planets rotate around the sun, right? They're like, yeah, right. I'm like, but that's wrong. That's not what's happening. It's a it's a heliocentric model, and that what I mean by that is that the sun is literally spinning, hurling through the galaxy at seventy thousand kilometers per per hour, and all the planets are actually circling behind it in its wake. I said that that is the reality. This 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 geocentric model is a false model, 
And when people, when I tell people this, their their mouths drop because it's like saying, you know, that we're not on a flat planet, but a round planet, right? And so the conversation we're hearing today reminds me of this, this heliocentric model that most people don't even know exists yet. And yet that's, it is the truth. And so I love the fact that we have individuals like Dolores and Christian and, and Lawrence and, of course, Andrew and, and Tom Cohen and so on, who are actually challenging our modern day and current models and beliefs. And, and I think that one of the, the biggest hurdles that we are facing is this, this recalcitrant attitude towards everything I know is all there is to know and everyone else is, is wrong if they disagree with me. So I just want to say thank you so much to Dolores and Christian and Dolores and everyone and, and Andrew and, and Tom Cohen for, for challenging us and, and forcing us to think bigger and broader because we have to do that. We have to if we're going to survive as a humanity. So I just want to say that before I go on to what's, you know, what we're doing in Texas. So um, basically, I, I just want to say um, I had a great interview yesterday which just got um, um, banned from YouTube a few hours ago and that was with um, the Israeli uh, human rights uh, attorney, um, Tamir Tagur, and uh, also a woman named Ilana uh, Rachel Daniel who did a, a, a audio message about a month ago that was actually a private audio message but it went out into the public and went around the world. And we were just talking about what's happening in, in, in Israel. And I just want to say that, you know, we connected on such a soul level. I have to say that I've heard this over and over again. And this happened again last night. I had dinner with some individuals. I met at our, our worldwide freedom rally a couple of weeks ago. And we met each other in the parking lot two weeks ago. And we, we were like kindred spirits. It's, this is what's happening is as soon as we see our people, we are able to identify each other. And, and it took us quite a few months, right, when this lockdown began to actually have the dust settle and to find each other. But now we found each other. Now we are coordinating, we're sharing information, best practices, best policies, a way forward. And I, when I got invited last Friday to go to Texas, I wasn't planning on it. And, uh, and we, we gathered with all these incredible, brilliant minds. And it felt like a family reunion. And these were people that I was meeting for the first time. And we realized the peril we're in. We realized that we are at this incredible crossroads uh, in, in our humanity and that this is a do or die moment. Either we rise to a new occasion, uh, a 2.0, and not a 2.0 of, of the technocrats making, but are making, or we're just not going to be human any longer. And so I think that we all are very quite clear on, on, on having to come together and actually, um, you know, put, put our big pants on and, and start being really remarkable. And that event that we had uh, just a few days ago in Texas uh, was just so inspiring um the brilliant people that were coming together from all walks of life and how we all just got in the same room together and we realized that we were in an extraordinary event living in an extraordinary time and we were on the verge of doing extraordinary things and and that's where we are and so anyone that i've been connecting with like with you amani and and everyone else on this call uh it's it's like we found our people and and we and it's not that there's not going to be carnage right those who've been in, who've been vaccinated, they're already dying, right? We know, you know, we also know like um, miscarriages are up three hundred sixty-six percent in the last month, and so on, from those who are being vaccinated, and and we've we've already lost our own relatives from being vaccinated. So there is going to be carnage, but it's up to us to reduce that carnage, and and then once we do that, is to make sure once again 
we don't make this mistake. We should have learned this from World War II, but we don't make this mistake ever again. And and we rise to a new occasion. And I think we're going to do it, but it's we still have some rough roads ahead. I I just just feel like we do. And by talking to those around the world, we are seeing parallels. For instance, when I was being interviewed or interviewing yesterday, these uh, two individuals from Israel. We saw a lot of overlap of the lack of, 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 of um, transparency around the vital statistics. Their public health departments, like our public health departments throughout America, will not release the vital statistics so we can see what's really happening. Uh, we are also seeing that the, the propaganda machine is huge and the censorship, of course, deplatforming is huge. We're also seeing, interestingly enough, I asked them when I was not interviewing, but after the interview, is 5G an issue there? And they said, yes, we went to lockdown. When we came out, there were 5G antennas everywhere, towers and antennas everywhere. That's what they put into place when they were locked down. I said, that's what they did here throughout America. And I said, that has to be highly coordinated. So what we're seeing is a very, very highly sophisticated, highly coordinated effort around the world that has been in the plans, obviously, for, for many, many years, because it's very clear it takes that kind of work to do this. And, and we're realizing this now, but we're now coming together, we're identifying it, and we're, we're working in unison. And that's, what we're, that's what's happening. And it's really, it's, it's highly inspiring. It really is. Thanks, Renette. It was so awesome to finally meet you in person. It's been I know. I want you and Chris. Um, I, I love hugging. I love hugging now. <laughs> it's my favorite thing to do. <laughs> so good. So it was, I mean, in the energy there, um, I was in the Austin area for a couple of days and had multiple events. There's a lot happening um, and a lot of, yeah, exciting energy of people doing things in a new way, a different way. I don't know if you wanted to say something, Larry, but I wanted to hand it back to Chris to close, kind of sum everything up and wrap up the hour. But if you yeah, wanted to... thanks. I just wanted to, wanted to say something really, really quickly. Um, I have contacts uh, with people who are in Israel and uh, the report is that over 3,000 people have already passed away from the injection. Um, most of them are elderly, um, but and they're not reporting it. And there's been uh, more, well more than 15,000 people with severe adverse events, including Bell's palsy and neurological problems, including the miscarriages. So that data is not coming out, um, but I just wanted the listeners to know that um, similar things are happening in the United States where data like that are, are just not coming out. And I just want to add to that, uh, Lawrence, you're right. And one of the things you have to do is you have to go actually for the, the, the personal uh, anecdotes. We've been talking to first responders and they have told us that they're getting more calls, uh, 911 calls for vaccine injuries than they ever got for COVID. We personally now have lost more people uh, to suicides and to COVID injection uh, um, deaths um, than we ever lost to COVID. And that's just our own right. personal experience. And I, and I think, I think we, we need to brace ourselves for what's going to happen in the fall when the flu vaccine is used and then on top of that yeah. when they start incorporating the next level of injections for yeah. COVID 21 and 23 and then 25. And maybe that's why we're involved, you know, in the War Freedom Alliance and in this PCR sequencing consortium is that if they come out with another infectious agent or pandemic, the international organizations that we will be ready to sequence the positive you know whatever it is we can say to the cdc we will independently full sequence whatever they're calling a new infectious you know agent or pandemic in order to um, be ready for the next one you know so that they can't just uh, take a year for to be where we are now 
lots of information. Chris, do you want to close this up? We're at the top of the hour. Yes. So here's the thing. <laughs> yeah, we are at, at a turning point, and we are not going to be able to save everybody. Those who are called are being called, and they're waking up in droves, but you need to understand where to put your attention. We need to awaken the sleeping lions. The sheep will have to let them go. They will eventually get there. This is a huge plan. God is in charge. In the meantime, all of you listening, please get involved. This needs to be from the bottom up grassroots. Go to makeamericansfreeagain.com. Makeamericansfreeagain.com. And join one of your state groups. We have Thursday night meetings all over the United States. They're having them also in Canada and Europe. Magic happens when you get together with your people. We attracted a lawyer here in our state who's now working with Tom Rents, the lawyer for Pam Popper's Make Americans Free Again. He told us last night there are about there are just a handful of lawyers taking this on as warriors for the entire world. They're also in touch with Reiner Fulmick, but all of us are needed. All of us are needed on the front lines. We won't be able to save everybody, but we can save the people that we can, beginning with ourselves. Put your oxygen mask on first. Remember that one? That was before wearing is caring, which is a total psyop, and it's exact opposite of what we need to do. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I love you all, and it's because we all found each other that I feel stronger and more and healthier and more fit than I have in 10 years. Thank you. Love it, Christiane. Uh, uh, yeah, we're all coming together. And I think that that's, again, the power of this group. And you brought up the, the taking care of ourselves first, you know, with the brave new life that Sovereign and I embarked of as an offshoot of New Earth was really about its centropy and um, sovereignty and self-love. And so it does start with ourselves. We have to put our, it's just so funny being on the plane where they say, I'm um, here we are, everybody's unmasked. And they say, put your mask on before you put on the kids. It's just the, the play on all of this. You have to have a sense of humor and keep, um, just keep staying on the path. And and I know we've got one of the, the, the some of the most vigilant warriors out there with this mastermind group. And I'm so grateful to be meeting with you on a regular basis and having you bring out this wisdom to the world. So thank you all for hopping on. Imani, Imani, I want to say something really fast. I was on a plane a couple of months ago and they implored us to wear masks and they said, but if the oxygen masks fall, take your mask off so you can put the oxygen mask on. And I thought to myself, so what kind of oxygen are we really breathing in when we do have the mask on? So it's just uh, I know, absurd. I just blew yesterday. I was thinking the same thing. It's just like, this is so hilarious. You know, it's it's quite a, a spoof on humanity of how we're playing. And it's it's really up to us to see through it all. And you guys are, are leading the way as we're literally changing the whole paradigm of how we think about everything. And, and that's what this year has been about. So thanks, everyone. For tuning in, please share with others that every Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, we're hopping Thanks, on. Doors, you want to say anything else before we hop off? You good? Awesome. Bye bye. All right. Bye, everyone. Thank bye, you so much. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.